Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. If you had one prayer you could pray, what would it be? If you had one prayer you could pray for yourself or for your family or for this church, what, what would that prayer be? Would it be a prayer for financial provision? Um, would it be a prayer for guidance? Would it be a prayer for protection? What, what would that prayer be? Well, in the passage we read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this amazing prayer for the church at Ephesus. And you have to realize that this is a group of people who are facing many challenges. Yet what is his prayer for them? That they would know the love of God. And not just know about it, not just so they could like pass a theological quiz, but to truly know it, to experience it, to receive it, and to be able to live out of that place in their lives. And one commentator points out how remarkable this is, and he basically says that that Paul is praying for people who in those days faced all kinds of dangers, sickness and disease, and of course, without the sort of healthcare system that we have, There was constant warfare. They were in danger from robbers when they traveled, danger from invasion, danger from disease and and pestilence. And yet this is the thing that he prays for them. It is this. This is the one thing, according to Paul, that they need. And what I want to suggest this morning is this is the one thing that we need more than anything else. Last week, we started a new series called All You Need Is Love with a little bit of a nod to the Beatles. And the basic idea behind this series is that what we need more than anything else is actually the love of God. Not first love for other people, that is important, but actually first and foremost, what we need is actually to know and experience the love of God for ourselves. Because the Bible says that we love, why? because he first loved us. And so the life of love we're called to actually starts with knowing God's love for ourselves. But still, you might wonder, well, why did Paul pray this prayer? I mean, in light of all the things going on with the church in Ephesus, uh, why is this so important to him? And, and the answer is, that is because this is what changes us, actually, is the love of God. Let me just kind of put this in the context of the letter. So Paul, he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, not just a church, but the church in the city of Ephesus and the churches in that region. So this is like modern day Turkey. And the backdrop of this passage is division, is a long-standing division between Jew uh, and Gentile. And of course, we live in a culture that is characterized by division, that is characterized by deep polarization. And so the question naturally arises, how can that be healed? How can that be transformed? How can we be transformed? As I look at our culture, I think one of our main strategies has been to try to kind of tweak and and change our language 
And, and of course, there's a place uh, for that. Some people really do need to learn how to be more thoughtful and how they communicate and, and, and speak with others. But as I, I look at our culture, I still see so much hatred and racism and divisiveness. And so clearly we need something deeper. And so the question is, what can heal these things? What can change our lives? What can change our societies? Well, the Apostle Paul knew that where we need change more than anywhere else is actually in here. We need it in our hearts. And he knew that the only thing with the power to truly transform the human heart was and is the love of God. And so just just think with me for a minute. What is one of the main drivers behind all the divisions that we face in our society? Fear, right? That's what enables us to reduce other people to a caricature or to a meme that we can just dismiss and kind of throw, you know, kind of lob bombs at. Uh, It is fear. But what the Bible says is, guess what is the thing that actually drives out fear? God's perfect love is what drives out fear and enables us to live a different kind of life. And so Paul knows this. He knows we need transformation and not just at a surface level, but really deep down inside. And so he prays for the church at Ephesus that the divisions that began to be healed through their reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that would come to fullness through an ongoing experience of the love of God in their lives. And and notice, if you will, that his his strategy, kind of in in quotes, is is not really to strategize. Uh, It's not to, I don't know, form a committee or start a think tank. It's actually to pray which reveals that he might actually, I don't know, think that prayer uh, is more important than we often do. He starts with prayer. Now, of course, when you pray, God will probably lead you to do a few things. But if you don't start with prayer, you might find that the things you're doing are actually not of the kingdom of God. And so Paul starts from this posture of, of prayer. And so he prays for the church at Ephesus, this, this amazing prayer. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 14 through 21, where you can follow along on the screens. And Paul says this. I just kind of want to walk through this passage, and then we'll have some time to respond at the end. But in verse 14, Paul says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, normally in Jewish culture, you would pray standing up. Now, there's not just one prayer posture in the Bible, but in a first century Jewish context, actually that was the normal posture of prayer. So when Paul says he kneels before the Father, this is an expression of passion. This is not a token prayer. This is not business as usual, that he is praying with passion. He longs to see the people of God awakened to the love of God. And he goes on to say, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Now, here's what's amazing about this. This is just a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth it. I think it can be so easy to pray from a perspective of lack. You know, when you kind of focus on your circumstances and and you see the needs and, and you see the lack, and then you pray from that vantage point. The problem is when you do that, Your prayers lack confidence. They're filled with anxiety. For example, sometimes I've wondered, am I really praying or am I just worrying out loud? (laughs) Right? But look at what Paul does. He prays from a perspective of God's abundance and God's greatness. 
And therefore, he's able to pray bold prayers. Bold prayers. Now, have you ever wished that your, your family was wealthy or maybe that your family was powerful or influential or well-connected? Because, I mean, that could be kind of nice. If you're in a pinch, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they could help you out. Well, well, guess what? Your father in heaven is actually very well off. Turns out he's actually loaded. He's loaded with power and majesty and glory and nothing is too great for him. Nothing is impossible for him. Therefore, you can trust him. You can, you can actually trust him with your life. And like Paul, you too can pray bold and big prayers. Just to give you a sense of what this is, can look like in my life, for example, if I'm, I don't know, have uh, financial concern or financial need. Here, here's how I pray. I've learned to pray. It's, it's taken me many years to learn how to pray like this because I used to pray just out of just anxiety. Help! You know? <laughs> But I've learned to pray. You just like, no, wait a second. This is who God is. So, so I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just start just going through scripture. I'm like, Lord, let you, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, your word says that the earth is the Lord's for all, and then all it contains. There's no lack of resources for you. Your word says, ask and you will receive. So God, I am asking. You're the God of abundance. You own all things. I'm asking for daily bread. I'm asking for your provision. And so you see that just that totally changes. You start praying from a place of confidence rather than a place of help, you know, and just anxiety and, 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 and that sort of thing. And so uh, Paul knows that the way to pray is from a perspective of God's greatness and abundance. And that, that will transform your prayer life, I can tell you. So Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. And you see, God wants you to know his strength. He doesn't want you to be tossed around and knocked down by every wave of discouragement or trial or temptation that comes your way. He wants you to be strengthened within. And he goes on with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, we often focus on the surface of our lives, for example, on you know uh, what our Instagram feed looks like. Uh, but, but Paul knows that actually what God is most concerned about is actually what's going on in here, in our inner being. Now, now, what does that refer to, inner being? We don't usually use that kind of language, right? So what does that refer to? What Paul is referring to here is sort of the core of your being. It's sort of like your heart uh, of hearts, the depths of who you are. This involves your mind, your will, your emotions. But what this prayer reveals uh, is that what we need more than anything else is strengthening, not first and foremost in our bank account, not first and foremost on, on our resume or our relationships. Actually, what we need strengthening in more than anything else is in our inner being. Because if you have that, then guess what? You can navigate challenges in any of those other areas. We need to be strengthened in our inner being. Now, this strengthening uh, Paul is praying for, it has a particular focus, And so in verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you've read much of the Bible, if you kind of theologically minded, that might be a little bit of a confusing prayer, right? He's praying, but he's writing to Christians, by the way, is a letter to a church. And so he's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Like, what's that about? Well, if you read Ephesians chapter two, 
And elsewhere, Paul's writings, he makes clear that if you're a Christian, well, Christ is already dwelling within you through the Holy Spirit. And so what that tells us is not that Paul, he's not praying that, that Christ would start to indwell them because he already is. Rather, what he's praying is that they would have a greater experience of Christ who already indwells them. And so we'll continue to see as we walk through this prayer that really right at the center of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that they would have a a greater experience of Christ who is with them and in them. That they would know him in a deeper way. Now, there's also kind of an implication here, not only that they would know Christ better, but also that he would exert sort of greater influence in their lives. So if your life is like a house, it's kind of this idea that he would have increasingly free reign, that he could be kind of like doing like kind of like a spiritual fixer upper in your heart, that he could kind of renovate and strengthen uh, your life and your inner being. That's kind of the image here. So Paul prays for that deep work. And then uh, down in verse 17b, he prays, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And so here he's uh, invoking two metaphors. Paul's a really smart guy. So he just, you, you kind of can't keep up with them. There's so much going on here. And so the first is a botanical metaphor. In other words, it's a metaphor. It's an image of a plant or a tree. And then the second image he invokes is kind of an architectural metaphor. It's uh, an image of a building. But let's start with this first image. So just imagine with me kind of a, just kind of, you know, a, a plant or a tree in your mind. Um, this past week, I was reminded of how when Ansley and I first got married, we lived in a little apartment in La Mirada on Rosecrans Avenue. Anybody represent Rosecrans in here? I think I see a couple. Yeah, I see a couple. Yeah, here we go. And, uh, and we were surrounded by concrete. And so we figured we, we need to find something green and living that we could like get in our apartment. And so when we were at the grocery store one day, there was like this little ficus plant. We're like, you know, we're taking that home. And so we brought home this little ficus, but it was honestly, it was like just a few little twigs with a few little leaves. I mean, it wasn't much, uh, but I'd actually forgotten, and we actually named this ficus Herb. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. Anyways, but I had forgotten about Herb, but we brought him with us wherever we've moved. And now we have a house in Fullerton. And as I was in my backyard uh, this past week, I noticed, wait a second, that's Herb. And Herb is now like giant. What happened? Herb's roots went down deep. You see, so often we want, like, we want growth, we want change, we want fruit, we want transformation in our lives, but we focus on that. We forget that the only way to get that is for your roots to go down deep in Jesus Christ and in his love for you. That is the only way. Fruit, growth, all those things. Height is a function of depth. Height is a function of depth. And I think the temptation can be to just kind of focus on the surface, to kind of skim on the surface of our spiritual lives. I was at a conference yesterday, and uh, one of the speakers used a term I'd never heard before, but it kind of struck me, and he used the term spiritual voyeurism. Like, wow. What's that? And what he's referring to is when you kind of look in on someone else's intimacy with God in an unhealthy way. Now, I think hearing of someone else's intimacy with God, that can be encouraging. That can be good. So that's not a problem. So what's the problem? The problem is when you use that as a substitute for your own. That can be a temptation. You just listen to a bunch of podcasts and hear about other people's intimacy with God, but you actually don't develop that 
for yourself. And so I, sometimes I share stories because I kind of want to provoke you to hunger after God. But what I can't give you is my history with God. That is something that only you can develop for yourself. And so the invitation is for all of us, for our roots to go down deep into the love of Jesus Christ. But again, I can't do that for you. Only each of us can do that for ourselves to really take the time to develop that history with God. Now, Paul, he's so brilliant. He's not content with one metaphor. And so there's kind of like two metaphors in kind of rapid succession. And so the second image is more of an architectural uh, image. And it's kind of the image of a building. So again, imagine your life is like a house. and, And Paul prays that it would be established in love. I know someone who recently built a house on the coast and whatever governmental authority oversees these kinds of things uh, require that they dig foundations like so deep. I can't remember the depth. It was like insane to, like, to, to build the foundations all the way into bedrock. Now you might wonder, well, why? Because it seems like, well, it seems like a little intense, but why? They want the house to last. And Paul wants and God wants your spiritual life and vitality to last so that you're so strong and so deeply rooted in Christ that you can withstand whatever comes your way, that you can stand firm in him, that you will be secure in him. Uh, Shortly uh, before Ansley and I uh, planted this church, we were at a conference and and at this conference, there's a time for prayer. And so our philosophy is be a prayer hawk. And so they're offering prayer. We got prayer. And uh, so there was a, a woman who prayed for us. We didn't know her, uh, but uh, she said, uh, are you guys church planners? And uh, we said, yeah. And she said, we, I said, well, why? Like, how, like, how'd you know? And she said, well, like, I see like roots coming out of your feet. And she's like, she's mean like in the spirit, not literally, but just kind of. <laughs> and she said, I also see like this giant taproot uh, coming from you guys going into God's love. And she said, that is what is going to sustain you through this journey. And that has been so True, through all the highs, all the lows, that is what has sustained us more than anything else, is being deeply rooted in the love of God. And that is what will sustain you. And that is what Paul is praying for, for the Ephesians church, that their roots would go down deep into the love of God, into the love of God. And so Paul goes on, he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and Deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, there are three things I want to unpack just from these three brief verses here. And the first is that when Paul prays in verse 19 that they would know the love of Christ, that he is talking about an experiential knowledge of Christ's love. And so, in other words, it's one thing to know that Christ loves you, but it's another thing entirely to know the love of Christ. It's one thing to know up here that God loves you. It's another thing to know down here and to believe that he loves you. That's, there's there's a, such a huge difference there. So I studied philosophy in college and philosophers draw a distinction between two different kinds of knowledge. The first is knowledge by acquaintance, knowledge of a thing itself, in other words, and versus knowledge by description, knowing simply knowing about a thing. So um, just for example, uh, um, if you've ever been on a blind date, you know that there's a difference between knowledge by description, think of someone's you know, profile online, versus knowledge by acquaintance, right? There is, there is a difference there. Uh, and, and even if the dis- description is accurate, which I hear sometimes it's not, 
even if it's accurate, that's not what we're after, right? You're not simply after a list of attributes, you know, height, 5'7", hair, uh, blonde, enjoys long walks on the beach. You, you don't fall in love with a profile. You fall in love with a person. Uh, David Benner is a Christian uh, psychologist. He says this, and you can put the quote up if you have it. He says, there is no substitute for a genuine encounter with perfect love. There is no substitute for a genuine encounter with perfect love. And there's just, there's no substitute for it. You can't, uh, just uh, reading a book about it won't do. Watching YouTube videos won't do. We need nothing less than a genuine encounter with the love of God. And, and that is what Paul is praying for. Now, have you, have you ever had an experience like that where it's like you experienced God's love, that you didn't just know about it, but it's like you, you tasted and you saw that, that God is good. You experienced his love. Now, if your answer to that is no, or maybe, or I don't know, or maybe a little bit, just know that like you're normal. You're normal. And one way I know this is from experience. The other way I know this is actually from this passage. Because notice, Paul isn't praying for just, you know, maybe a few, oh, there's a few folks in Ephesus who struggle. You know, for you guys, I'll, I'll pray this prayer for you. No, no, no. He's praying for the entire church in the entire city of Ephesus, in the entire region. Why? Because probably most of the people in that church and probably most of us struggle here, if we're honest. And so that just tells us that if you're you maybe struggling, this is kind of a growth area for your normal you're normal. And it also tells us that, that growing this, it isn't automatic. Again, Paul, he's like, he has this fervent prayer. He's on his knees before the Father, beseeching him that these people would have a, a revelation of the love of God. And, and so what that tells us, this isn't automatic. We have to, in a sense, contend and press into the love that is already there for us. It's there, but sometimes it's like, well, I'll share a story to illustrate. So um, I, I started following Jesus as a freshman in college, and, I, and when I started following him, it, it took a while to get to that point, but when I eventually decided, okay, I'm going all in, I went all in, and, and I've been following him ever since. Um, but if I'm honest, uh, what we're talking about here, that was really not necessarily part of my experience. Not to say I didn't have like little glimmers of what we're talking about. Yeah, like little, little whiffs and you know, hints and glimmers of God's love. But it wasn't until my first year in grad school when I really had a deep experience of the love of God. And what happened was I, I was taking a class in spiritual formation and uh, we were given a homework assignment and we were uh, instructed to set aside 20 minutes just to simply be with God in silence and ask him, is there anything he wants to say to you? I'm thinking, huh, I've never done that before, but Okay. It's my assignment, so here we go. And so I set my little timer and sat down in my little chair at my desk, which was also my dining table. <laughs> my kitchen slash office slash... Anyways, uh, and, and uh, so I just, you know, I was just trying to make myself available to God. Kind of like, you know, God, here I am. If there's anything you want to say to me, here I am. Kind of like Samuel prayed. And um, a few minutes went by and just silence. But then at one point, there's just kind of an impression. It wasn't like a word, just an impression, a sense a prompting to get down on my knees. Just kind of in a posture of humility before God. And I did. And I don't recall how much time I spent there, but eventually there was a moment when I just had this whisper of a thought, the still small voice of God. And I heard one of the most life transforming things I've ever heard in my life. And I heard the Lord say to me, don't just acknowledge my love, receive it. Mm. 
I thought, wow. Because I had been all over the world telling people about the love of God. Yet that revealed to me, I'd done missionary work, and that revealed to me that there was an extent to which, a deep extent to which I actually didn't comprehend the love of God. And so, so God, God, I actually, I don't know how to do that. And I think humility, honesty, is, is a great place to start. Playing pretend will kill your spiritual life. Playing pretend with God will kill your spiritual life. He doesn't want that. He wants you. He, Jesus died for you. He didn't die for a mask. He died for you. And so he wants us to bring our hearts just as they are, warts and all, to bring that to him, to bring that into his presence. And so I said, God, I don't know how to do that. And so I said, God, would you help me? That's all I could think to do. God, just help me. God, would you help me to open my heart to you, to receive your love? And again, we need help with this. So I just, but in this moment, I just had this, it was like this awareness of like, it was almost like there were doors to my heart. And actually that's biblical. Revelation says he stands at the door and knock. Jesus stands at the door. And he's talking to Christians, by the way, standing at the door of Christians' hearts, saying, can I come in? And I realized, it's like, wow, they're like these doors to my heart. I said, God, I open as best I can my heart to you. And in that moment, it was like these doors started when just torrents of God's love began to be poured out into my heart. Described in Revelation 5. That's, that's just, I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. And um, that changed my life. That changed my life. Now, I don't always live there, but that put me on a path of learning to grow more deeply in having an open heart before God to receive his love. And it's a journey of a lifetime. Um, but that uh, was something that just uh, changed my life and share that in part to know that if you look, if this, if this sounds like a foreign language to you, you're not alone. You're, you're not alone. Uh, I needed help with this. The Ephesian church needed help. So that's why Paul prays for God's power to come through the Holy Spirit to meet them and that, that they would have a revelation of God's love for them. Now, there's something in this prayer that's often overlooked, and so here's the next point. Uh, and it's that there's actually a community dynamic to knowing God's love. In verse 18, Paul goes on, he says that we, they may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. You see, you can only know so much of God's love just on your own. I, I know that so often in our culture, this is an individualistic culture, so we can try to do this thing on our own, but what Paul is saying is, look, you will not be able to get where God wants you to go alone. You need all the Lord's holy people. And so that's why we actually need to be here. That's why we need things like small groups. That's why we need spiritual friendships, because these are means and channels through which we not only grow in our knowledge of God, but also our experience of his love. And uh, last week, I shared a story of a way that uh, God just rocked my world and Ansley's world uh, with his love. But that came through the body of Christ. Had we not put ourselves and really sought out those kind of opportunities that, that, that we, we would not have had that experience. And so part of how we grow in this is actually as we, as we press in together as God's people. And so we need each other in this journey. And here's the last points from, from this, these few verses here. And it's the vastness of God's love. The vastness of God's love. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now what's Paul getting at here? Well, what he's praying is that God would give the Ephesians and give us the power to comprehend the full extent of his love. 
and he uses this over-the-top language uh, to give us a sense of this, and he uses not only the typical three dimensions that you would use to describe a three-dimensional object, he also adds a fourth dimension, so it's just kind of like this mind-blowing statement, and what he's trying to give us a sense of is the limitlessness of God's love, just the limitless expanse of God's love, which is literally inexhaustible. So here's kind of how I just paraphrase this. Uh, It's like most of us uh, are trying to drink from a thimble of God's love when there's like Niagara Falls coming at us. And he wants us how to learn to just open our hearts and receive and experience that reality. It's like some of us have been splashing about in a puddle of God's love. We think that's all there is, but the reality is that God's love is like the Pacific Ocean and you're in a paddle boat and you will never get to the end of it. You will never outrun his love. You will never exhaust his love. And it is there, it is real, it is for you, but we need God's help to comprehend and experience that. And so Paul prays for that. I'm also reminded of how Jesus said that he said, abide in my love in John chapter 15. So our call is not only just to have a one-off experience, it's actually to live from this place, to learn over time with stops and starts and fumbles and bumbles, to learn more and more how to grow and live from this place. In verse 19b, Paul says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, God wants us to be filled with his love. He wants us to be filled with his presence. And it's so good that he doesn't want us just to keep it to ourselves. He actually kind of think of the image of an aqueduct where it's like water is kind of comes in and then it kind of flows through. It's like our lives are to be like an aqueduct. First uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verse 12 Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So the goal is this, is not only that we would receive this and keep it for ourselves, but then that through that God, which God's love would flow through us to the world around us. Ben, why don't you come back up? And then he, Paul ends with, with this. And this is basically the only fitting conclusion to, to a prayer like this. And it is praise. And so Paul says, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's really the invitation this morning to really tap in to God's love. And, and Paul's invitation here is not just to, to talk about it, not just to, I don't know, read a passage about it, not just to exposit a text, but actually to uh, press into an experience of God's love for ourselves. And so I want us to take, before we come to the table, take a couple minutes just to be in God's love together. And uh, if you could put kind of the core of the prayer up on the screen again. And I invite you just to pray this prayer for yourself. Pray it for the person on your right. Pray it for the person on your left. Paul thought the way into this was actually prayer. And so I want to take a moment just for us to do that, just in silent or quiet prayer, as the band plays some instrumental, and then we'll continue in worship. Let's just take a moment.